All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles one final time to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 3 as we finish tonight our study of the book of 2 Peter. And I want, I want to say just... While you all are turning there, I'm overjoyed uh, to be to be preaching this uh, this evening. I'm so thankful for for the opportunity that you all have given me uh, to preach through uh, this book. There is no greater honor uh, than to proclaim uh, God's truth, and that's what we'll do one final time here this evening. Second Peter chapter three. We'll be studying verses eleven through eighteen. So if you would stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. And I actually want to start reading in verse number 10 and go through the end of the chapter. 2 Peter 3, verse 10, the Word of God says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And, and here is verse 11 is our question for this evening. Seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, God, we know that it is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And God, as we study the book of Second Peter one last time here this evening, I, I pray for Your help. God, I pray that I would rightly divide and, and explain and articulate and preach these words here tonight. And God, I pray that each and every person here would apply these truths uh, to their lives. And so bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever considered what your last words would be if you knew you would soon die? I want you to imagine that for just a second. Imagine that you have been given news that you will die in, in a matter of days or, or in a matter of weeks. Have you ever considered what your last words would be? Perhaps many of us will never get that chance. Perhaps death for many of us will come sudden. But some of us may get that chance. So what would you say? 
What would your last words be? What profound words would you leave behind to those you care about? I think we should think about these things and and, and ponder these things. Because the Apostle Peter gets this chance. Peter here at the end of 2 Peter is perhaps days or weeks away from his execution. We all know that that Peter will be crucified in the coming days upside down. Uh, And so his life is drawing to 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 an end. And really the entire book of 2 Peter are his last words or have been his last words as as Peter has been preparing us for persecution. That's what he wanted his last words to be. He wanted his fellow brethren, his brothers and sisters in Christ to be prepared for when persecution comes. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us, go back and watch the live streams. This is a great thing about Facebook Live. The sermons are out there. Uh, But for those of you who have been with us, he's talked to us about unity, about assurance, about the Bible, about heresy, about salvation, about false teachers, and about the return of Christ. But, but, But tonight, we have the final verses of the final chapter of the life of the Apostle Peter. And what he's going to leave us with is is a profound question in verse number 11. How should we live since the return of Christ is near? Uh, That's a a marvelous question for us to ask. Even even for us as we started Matthew 24 here this morning. I think that's a wonderful question for us to ask. As Jesus is going to go through Matthew 24 and he's going to clarify all of these things, as, as Josh put it uh, this morning, there's, there's that Rubik's Cube of, of the end times that, that we'll see. But ultimately, we must know how does that affect how we're going to live? And Peter asked us this question here in our passage tonight. Verse number 11, right? Seeing that then these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? I think the world is obviously unprepared for the return of Christ. We'll see that as we go through Matthew 24. But I hope, my hope is that that is not true of the church. I hope that the church is, the, at, least, at least our church, the people who are gathered here tonight, you people, I hope that you are prepared for the return of Christ. As I look out upon Christianity today, I think that there are many churches that are woefully unprepared for the return of Christ. But we must be prepared. And and specifically, he tells us here in, in verse 11, he says, What manner of persons ought you to be? This expression means, what country are you from? From what country? It's an interesting um, question to ask. But I want you to think of it this this way. What would you do if you were going to move to a different country soon? Right? Imagine that you were getting ready to, 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 to uproot your life and your family and move all the way around the world. Would you not want to be prepared for that move? Would you not want to think about a few things? Would you not maybe perhaps want to learn the language? And speak the, the language that these people speak. The culture, right? Understand what's a, what's, a, what's a bad thing to do and what's a good thing to do. Understand the laws. Understand that, you know, you can't walk backwards on Tuesdays. 
in this, in this country. You've got to understand these things. Understand the people. Understand, you maybe should find a house. Find a place to live. Find a job. Right? Those are things you would need to, to think through. Well, for Christians here tonight, there is a bigger move that, that is coming for you than moving to a different country. Than moving to somewhere else on the other side of the world. You better be prepared to move to heaven. And we need to know, what's the language that they speak in heaven? What's the culture like? What is, what, is the, what is the king there like? What are his laws? What are his rules? Right? We, must be, we must be prepared for this. So what manner of people ought we to be? How should we, we live in preparation for this move that is upon us? And honestly, he... He, he answers it for us there in, in verse 11. We could really probably just stop here and go home. We're not going to, but we could. He says, you should be in all holy conversation and godliness. Verse 11, there it is. There's the answer. We should live holy lives. Holy conversation. Those are your external actions. He's saying you should be separate from sin. The Bible talks about this, this conversation. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about it in Galatians 1. Uh, he talked about his, his actions, um, really his sinful actions in Galatians 1. But he said, for, for you have heard of my conversation in times past, um, how, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He talked about it in Ephesians 4. He says that, that, put off, uh, that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. These are your actions. Uh, when, when he says that we should have holy conversation, we should have holy actions. That we should be separate from sin. And we should have godliness. We should have an internal attitude that is separate to God. So this is the external and the internal. Separate from sin, separate to God. In salvation, both of these things occur. Both the internal and the external. To be separate from sin and to be separate to God. True holiness and true godliness are inseparable. So that's what we must be. But he's going to go into much more detail here. And that's what I want us to study here tonight. Uh, is this life of holiness. What sort of people ought we to be? We should be a holy people. People who are pursuing a life of holiness. So I have three points for you here tonight. Uh, they all start with the letter D. Um, so you can be looking for those. Uh, but, but we start here in, in verse number 11. And we pick up where we left off last week with the return of Christ. And we're going to see that when Christ returns, He demands Holiness. Uh, so that's point number one. Holiness demanded. And we're going to see three aspects of this demand for holiness. One, it's a perfect demand for holiness. Uh, look there in, in verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Uh, so when Christ returns, He will destroy everything that is not perfect. Christ demands holiness. Now, this might sound extreme to you, but we know that when Christ returns, He is returning to judge. And if you are not in Christ here tonight, you will be uh, the target of that judgment. If you are in Christ here tonight, 
You are saved from that judgment. Now, we're not saved uh, because we are perfect, uh, right? Because Christ is coming. He's coming to destroy everything that is not perfect. And you would say, oh, well, well, in order to be saved from that judgment, you must be perfect. And I say, well, we're not perfect in and of ourselves, but we are perfect in Christ. If you are saved, you have Christ's perfection. Now, I say it every week, and and I'm just going to keep saying it until we get it. This is the great exchange. And I think it's been true so much in in the book of 2 Peter that in salvation, Christ takes on our sin and we get Christ's perfection. That is how we are able to stand when Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back to judge. And He judges and, and He dissolves, as this, as this verse says, everything that is not perfect. How could we possibly survive that? Not because of what I've done or who I am, but because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. He is perfect. He has taken on all of my sin. He has given me His perfection. Another song in which our hymnal leaves out a really good verse is the song that we sung this morning on Christ, the, uh, the solid rock. Um, and it leaves out the fourth verse, which, which I think is, is, amazing, is a great verse. Uh, but the fourth verse says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. How are we able to stand before the throne of the almighty, holy, perfect God only if we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ alone? So this perfect uh, demand um, that, that, that Christ has for when he comes uh, is is only achievable uh, if we are in Christ. If we are not in Christ, we will be we will be judged. We will be the target of God's judgment, and we will be destroyed. Uh, and and verse verse twelve here, uh, it, it it sounds a lot like verse number ten that we we studied last week. We see things like the heavens shall pass away; they shall be re- dissolved. And again, from 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 last time, this is this is the reversal of creation. When when Jesus comes, he, he's coming to judge the world. Um, we we said it before uh, that you know the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. Uh, the vastness of space and time will be consumed in an instant. Um, the earth will dissolve like like snow. Um, God is going to, to obliterate uh, all these things that are not perfect. So it is a perfect demand. Not only a perfect demand, it's a, it's a universal demand. That when Jesus comes, he, he demands holiness of, of everyone. Right? He says, verse 11, Seeing then that some of these things shall be dissolved. Is that what it says? No. Verse 11 says, Seeing then that all, all these things shall be dissolved. No one is exempt from the demand for holiness. All people, whether you are male or female, black or white, rich or poor, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or who your granddaddy was, there is a demand upon you for holiness. Why? You say, you must be holy because God is holy. 
We said that in, in our song. That's why we sung, holy, holy, holy. You cannot be in the presence of God unless you are holy. You must be holy. This is why the gospel is a command. The gospel is not merely a suggestion. Jesus didn't go around saying, you know, it would be really great if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, the gospel, when Jesus said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, or or when we say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, or when Jesus says, repent, that's in the imperative form. You must do these things. You must be holy. You must repent. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It's a universal demand for everyone. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today. Do it now. It's not only a universal demand, but it's a personal demand. Alright, he asks us, seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You must be holy. Uh, Not everyone else, not, not, not the church, not, not the world, but you. Not, not your kids, not your spouse. You must be holy. When you stand before God in judgment, you only answer for yourselves. No one else. You, you stand there alone before God in judgment. And you must answer for the life that you've lived. You must be right with God. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be holy. So when Jesus returns, He will demand holiness. He's not not saying holiness would be nice when I return. Jesus is saying He's demanding holiness. Holiness is the only option when He returns. Now, I do not want you to misunderstand me. I am not suggesting that you should try to pursue holiness on your own. That is not the application of this first point. You cannot be perfect. You cannot attain these things that, that Jesus is saying here. Right? You, you can't be the, at the level of perfection and holiness that is required of you all on your own. No matter how hard you try, No matter how much you do, you cannot get to this point on your own. So the application of this point is salvation. That is the application here. You need to be saved. You need to believe in Jesus. Put your faith in the life that you did not live. The perfect life of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the death that you deserved. The once for all sacrifice, paying for your sins, taking your place, be saved today. That is how you will be able to satisfy the holy demand that Jesus has when he returns. That is the only way that you will be able to satisfy the holy demand of a coming king. Is if you are saved, if you are dressed in his righteousness alone. The only way that you will be able to stand in the return at the day of the return of Christ is if you are saved. 
Now, if you are saved today, holiness has been delivered unto you by Christ. That's our second point. We see holiness demanded. Now we're going to see holiness delivered. That by salvation in Christ, holiness is now delivered to us. And I've written down for this next point a list of seven things. Seven P's um, in in which our holiness, uh, that our holiness in Christ gives us. Seven things uh, that have been delivered to us by our holiness in Christ. Uh, Starting in verse number 13 here, the first one that we see is, is a promise. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise. So the first thing we receive from our holiness in Christ is, is it's a promise. You say, what, what is this promise uh, here? Well, Peter talks about this promise a little earlier in, in 2 Peter. If you just turn back to, to chapter 1, verse number 4, you'll, you'll see him mention this, this promise. He says, Whereby are ye given uh, are, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises? Okay, well here's these promises. What are what do they mean? Um, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So salvation in Christ gives us the promise of new life. Salvation is, I want you to know this, salvation is a life-changing event. This is why we talk about salvation as the new birth. Because that's how, how extreme it is. That's how radical it is that we are being born again. Not physically, but spiritually, we are being reborn. It is a change of heart. A complete change of, of, of who you are. Your desires are different. Your motives are different. Your life is different. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. So that's the, that's the promise here that, that Peter's, Peter's talking about here. About being a partaker of the divine nature. And having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That salvation in Christ gives us the promise of new life. Second, it gives us a place to spend eternity. Uh, keep, keep going here in verse 12. Or verse 12 and, and, and a little bit here in, in verse 13. It says, Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the second thing we receive from our holiness in Christ is, is this place to spend eternity here. It says here it's the, it's, the, it's the new heavens and a new earth. Understand this. We will all exist for eternity. But not everyone will have eternal life. Some will have eternal death and damnation and judgment and punishment. But here it says that believers are promised eternal life. And specifically, we're promised eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. You say, well, what what does that mean? What What does that mean when it says new heavens and new earth? That word new there, it means different. Different, not like anything you've seen before. Everything that we know today is marred by sin. You ever think about that? 
everything in the world around us. Look around you. Look around at the, at the people around you and the, and the things around you. Everything is marred by sin. But there is coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A, a different heaven and, and, and a different earth. There is coming a day when sin will be put to death. And we will go to a place where there is no sin. It will be completely and totally different than anything we have experienced here on this earth. I saw a Facebook post recently. And the post said, if you could get rid of one thing, what would it be? If you had the power to get rid of one thing in this world today, what would it be? And, and there were, I, I've, I read the comments. There were some pretty good ones. A few examples. Hate. Some people said, I would get rid of hate in the world. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good answer. Some people said greed. I would get rid of greed. Uh, some people said cancer. That's, again, I think it's a good one. COVID. People said they would get rid of COVID. Some people said they would get rid of Joe Biden. Um, I'm not going to comment if that's a good one or not, but it was out there and I found it funny. Uh, But I think there was one thing that was wrong with all of these answers. Uh, they, were, they were good answers. But they missed the, the root problem of all of these things. Where do all of these things come from? Hate, greed, death. Where does it all come from? It comes from sin. That's the answer. If we could get rid of one thing in this world, what would it be? It would be sin. And that is what is coming for us. That is what is waiting for us in the new heavens and the new earth. A world that is free from sin. Wow. It says we're looking for this place. Um, it's funny, that word's used earlier in the New Testament to describe how people waited and looked for Jesus' first coming. Uh, so we should wait with, with, with eager expectation for the return of Christ just as they were looking for the coming Messiah. It says here, we should also, and this is, uh, this is a remarkable one here. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Hasting. This word literally means to speed up. And I'll be honest, when I read this the first time, I said, what? What does that mean? You, we're supposed to speed up the coming of the day of God. How, how could we possibly do that? How could we possibly speed up the day of, how could, how could we speed that up? And I really, I didn't understand it at first. But think about what we talked about last time. Last time we talked about the only thing that stops God from coming back, from returning, is salvation. God is patient and, and, and He is waiting on His return so that He can save His people, so that He can save the elect. So as we engage in evangelism, as we engage in, in, in and have even the, I wouldn't even say it's a part in saving people, but as God is using us to, to share the gospel with people and, and people are getting saved, we are effectively Hasting the return of Christ. As more and more people get saved, 
The return of Christ gets closer and closer and closer. We oftentimes think about it from a time standpoint. And I think that's a bad way to think about the return of Christ in terms of time. Because that's not God's timeline. Right? God's timeline, the thing, time is not what stops God, Jesus, from returning. Souls, the salvation of souls, is what stops God from returning. Now we acknowledge that God is sovereign over all, but we are the agents of His will in salvation. Right? We, God is sovereign, but He's using us to share the gospel with people. So in some way, shape, or form, we are hastening the return of Christ by evangelizing, by sharing the gospel. I know many people who use the term Maranatha. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. The term means, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I don't have a problem with the term. Right, I mean, you, you, see, you see terrible things happening around the world and, and you, you cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't have a problem with it. But I think if you really want Jesus to return, evangelize. Share the gospel, right? That's what's stopping Jesus from coming back are, are, are these souls to be saved. So we're looking, so that's, that's the, the second thing is, is a place. Number three, it's a new pattern of life. The third thing we receive from our holiness in Christ is a new pattern of life. At the end of of verse 13, it says, Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Righteousness is the opposite of sin. It is the way of God. It is the way of, of truth. God has not only saved us from sin, but He has saved us unto righteousness or unto holiness. Titus 2, I think, points this out well. Um, Talking about Jesus, 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto him a peculiar people, zealous of good works. God saves us to clean us up and to to make us us righteous. And that's what the the new heavens will, will be like. It'll be a people who... Who, who dwell in, in righteousness. Number four, peace. The fourth thing that we receive from our holiness in Christ is peace. Uh, just moving on here, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in, in peace. Now, this could be the peace of, that we receive in salvation, right? That as sinners, we are enemies with God, and through salvation, we are now at peace with God. Um, but I don't actually think that's what, what, what's being referred to here. I think what's being referred to here is not uh, peace in salvation, but instead it's peace of mind or assurance of salvation. That we now have an inner peace that we know where, where our faith is and we know that one day our faith will become sight. That we are, we are sure uh, of these things. That of all the things in my life, this one thing I am sure of, uh, that Christ will save me in the end. And he, he goes on to say here, that we should be diligent, that we should diligently pursue this peace. Again, I think this is making your calling and election sure, right? That, uh, that, we, that we must be we, we sure um, that we are truly one of His. Uh, that, 
Effort is a part of the Christian life. That yes, we are saved by grace. But once we are saved, we work. There's no retirement in in Christianity. You may be looking forward to retirement in in, in the workforce or or so on and so forth, but there there is no retirement in, in Christianity. When you stop working, you lose assurance and you ultimately lose peace. So work diligently. Finish your race. Be diligent to be found in Him in peace. Number five, the the fifth thing we receive from our holiness in Christ is purity. Purity. He goes on to say at the end of verse 14 that we're found without spot and and blameless. Without spot here refers to our character. Blameless here refers to our reputation. So both our private life and our, our public life, the Christian life should be a life of integrity. I think this is interesting. Back in chapter 2, verse 13, false teachers were, were referred to as those who had, uh, had spots and blemishes in 2.13. This is the opposite of that, right? If the false teachers are those with spots and blemishes, we must be without spot and blameless. The opposite of false teachers. We must be very different from the rest of the world. I'll give you an example. My dad is a phenomenal human being. But his greatest character flaw in life is that he cannot keep a white t-shirt clean when he's eating to save his life. You could say that my dad's t-shirts are full of spots and blemishes. That when you go into his closet, he has a very difficult time finding a clean white t-shirt. I hope, I hope that's not true of us, of our lives. That, that, they, that someone would go into our closet and say, pull out a t-shirt and say, we're going to our churches. Pull out a, a t-shirt, pull out a believer and say, no, spots and blemishes. Spots and blemishes. Spots and blemishes. No, that we are pure and white. Right? That we are without spot and blameless. This should be the desire of our lives. That if God is holy and if God has declared us holy, we should be holy in the lives that we live. And we should be in diligent pursuit of this purity. Number six, the sixth thing. There's a long list here. The sixth thing that we receive from our holiness in Christ is that we get to experience God's patience. Verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is, is salvation. And again, this is, this is something we talked about last week, uh, but God is patient. Uh, God is long-suffering. God is, is merciful. Uh, the reason that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has not returned yet is because God is patient with unbelievers. He delays His second coming, until the elect will be saved. Until the number, the predetermined number before the foundations of the world of people have been saved. God knows that exact number. And God knows that when the last elect believer is saved, then and only then will the day of the Lord come. Then and only then will Jesus return. And it says here in, 
in verse 15, that we get to account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. I think we get to experience firsthand God's patience through evangelism, right? As, as again, as we're, as we're sharing the gospel, as we are the instruments that God uses to proclaim the gospel to the whole world, we get to experience God's patience firsthand. That God is being patient with unbelievers just like He was unpatient with you and with me. Right? God was very patient with us. God could have... The, the day of the Lord could have come a long time ago. And God would have been just in doing so. And we would not have been saved. But God is very patient with us. And, and as we engage in, in sharing the gospel and in evangelism, we are seeing God's patience at work. And one final one here, number seven. The seventh thing we receive from our holiness in Christ is a new perspective. A new perspective. He tags this little uh, little thing here on the end, talking about the Apostle Paul in, in 15 and 16. Um, and he says uh, in, in verse 16 that, that Paul has written uh, some things that are hard to be understood. And I think what he's alluding to here about the, the hard teachings that, that Paul, uh, the things that are hard to be understood, I think he's specifically talking about the end times teachings. Right, and I think some of the teachings on the end times are, are very hard for us to, to understand. And he's saying here that as, as believers, we are not to be like the unlearned and the unstable who rest these things, who, who distort these things. I think you guys have seen this before. The wonky date setters out there, right? And, and that's what they're doing. They're distorting the, the end times teaching. I was so appreciative to Josh as when he preached through the book of Revelation. And, and, and it wasn't, uh, you know, we weren't going through the book of Revelation filling out this timeline on, on, on when the rapture is going to happen. But instead, we got to see Christ in all His glory. Right? I think that's what many people are, are distorting when they approach the end times. That they miss that the... the, the the, the end times are the return of Christ where Christ is, is unveiled in all of His glory. And they get caught up with these little details and, oh, well, you know, what do the seven candlesticks mean? And, and you know, all of this sim, the, the symbols and, and, and the timelines and all of that. And, and, you know, they can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, and, 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 and that's what we're told here. that That's not us. Right, that's the unlearned and the unstable. That's who's distorting the, these teachings, these things that, that can be hard to understand. We don't do that. We have a new perspective on these things. Uh, through, the, uh, through the empowering of the, of the Holy Spirit, we have a new perspective. Now, I want to I say, though, that we can't... At the same time, we cannot agree to disagree on everything. I think there's an alarming trend in Christianity today where people don't stand for anything. Uh, that, that they go to the other extreme of this in, in which they say, you know, I just, we'll just agree to disagree on everything. There are some things in the Bible that are certain. If the Bible says it, it's true, period, end of story. 
If the Bible is, is vague, okay, maybe we can agree to disagree on, on some of those things. Um, so we, we have to be careful here, um, but in all of it, you know, we're not like the unlearned and the unstable who, who are distorting these end-time teachings like they are the rest of Scripture, as it says at the end of verse 16. Um, but we have this new perspective. So I want you to take a look at your life and see if you have these seven P's. Look, look for these seven, these seven P's in your life. If you don't, uh, perhaps you may need to be right with God. Uh, because I think these all seven of these things are things that we receive from our holiness in Christ. Right? It, when, when you are saved and when the, the, the perfect uh, righteousness of Christ is imputed upon you through the great exchange... You get these seven things. If you don't have these seven things, you may need to be right with God. But also, I think that these seven things are a great encouragement to us as we face persecution. Right? As we, as we face persecution, we, have, we are reminded of, of a promise. We're, we're reminded of, of a place where we'll spend eternity. We're reminded of the new pattern of life that we have. We're reminded of, of, of the peace of God and, and the assurance of salvation. We're reminded of the purity that we have. Of, we're reminded of God's patience and reminded of this new perspective. That though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, God has given us these seven things. So we've seen holiness demanded and holiness delivered. And I want to finish with our final point here. Holiness developed. Holiness developed. And I think this really answers our question from, uh, from, verse, from back in verse 11. Um, what should we be doing now until Jesus returns? Right? It's, it's as Josh said it this morning, Jesus is coming back. All true believers believe that. But how should we live? What should we be doing from now until, until Jesus returns? Well, we should be developing holiness within us. We have been declared holy. That's, that's salvation. Now we must pursue holiness, sanctification. And, and, and this point outlines well. Um, there are three ways that holiness is developed. It's developed by guarding, it's developed by growing, and it's developed for God's glory. Uh, so let's look at this quickly and we'll be done. Holiness is developed in us by guarding, and we see this in verse 17. It says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So he says to beware, to be on guard. He says, be discerning. Now you all know that throughout 2 Peter, uh, Peter has been warning us over and over again about the dangers of false teachers. And we spent four sermons in, in chapter 2 talking about these false teachers. And I found myself wondering, why are there so many warnings about false teachers? I want to get to something else. All we talk about every single week is false teachers. But, you know, I recently thought about it some more. About, about false teachers and about the, the dangers of falling away. I mean, consider, consider Peter's personal experiences, Right? One of Peter's closest friends was Judas, right? The, the ultimate deceiver, right? 
the one who, who fell away. And, and, and you know, I can't, I can't help but think that, that that's influenced this in some way. And even think about Peter. Think about his, his own denial, right? That he denied Jesus three times. And I, I think that there is, when you, when you think about the life of Peter here, uh, you know, it's almost, we need to not make the, the same mistakes that Peter made. Here, that we need to be, that we need to be on guard, that it can happen to even those who are very close to Christ. I mean, I, I would, I would uh, say, uh, there's the Apostle Peter was way closer to Christ than any of us will be, and yet he still denied Jesus three times. Right? We we're not living and walking each and every day with with Jesus. I mean, yes, we have His Word, uh, but He was there in the flesh with Him. He saw the miracles. He 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 tasted. Uh, the feeding, the loaves from the feeding of the five thousand. So we must be, we must beware, uh, so that we do not fall away. Um, we must have a firm footing in the truth. We must have a firm grip upon the truth. I don't know if anyone has ever seen it. There's a movie out there. I guess it's on. Um, Disney Plus or, or National Geographic. Um, uh, it's called Free Solo. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. Uh, Free Solo is, is a movie about this uh, this guy um, who, who climbs uh, El Cap, uh, which is this huge rock face uh, without any ropes. The guy is absolutely nuts. He is insane in the membrane. I mean, he is he's crazy for doing these things. But I can't help but think. You know, he is, he is free climbing this huge rock face. And, and one slip means certain death for him. And, 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 and I think that's a great example of why firm footing, a firm grasp upon the truth is a matter of life or death for us. Not that we would lose our salvation, but that we would lose confidence in the truth. And that we would struggle to survive when hard times come, when persecution comes. That's what Peter has been preparing us for. When these hard times come, when this persecution comes, we must be on guard. We must have a firm footing and a firm grip upon the truth of the Word of God. So it's developed by guarding, it's developed by growing. Here And he, he says it here in, in verse 18, But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must advance. We must increase. We must develop maturity in the Christian life. It's a necessity for all Christians. What happens if your kids don't grow? I've got four kids. We go to doctor's appointments. It feels like all the time. It feels like every week we have a doctor's appointment. And they're always measuring them, right? They're measuring their height and their weight. And I don't know why they measure their heads, but they measure their heads as well. And, and they do these things. And you know, they even give you a percentage of your kid is in the 25th percentile. Or, you know, your kid is in the 9th percentile. And you're like, oh, no, 9th percentile? That seems really low. We need to feed this kid a cheeseburger. Uh, what are we going to do? So you get concerned if you're not growing why is that not true of the christian life why are we not true why are we not concerned of christians who do not grow why are we not concerned for the christians who are in the ninth percentile we should be right there's something that's wrong we're being told to grow and yet some are not growing 
I think a, a passage, so speaking of some, uh, some things that are hard to be understood, I'm going to give you one. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus grew. Uh, and I think that this is a profound passage, and I don't even claim to understand how this is possible. This is, almost blows my mind. But we're told in Luke 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Jesus grew. I don't know how that's possible, but he did. So I say it to say, if Jesus grew, do you not need to grow too? You say, well, grow in what? Well, he tells us. Grace and knowledge, right? Grace is, and it's, it's the understanding and the application of God's amazing grace. I think we experienced that firsthand as we went through Ephesians chapter 2 and where God's grace was just on full display for us over the past few months. And and I think it it was great, and I think that's a great example of how we grow in grace that we continue to to seek to, to understand and to apply God's amazing grace. You say, what is grace? I heard it this week, and I wanted to share it with you all. Grace, if you've never heard this before, um... This will be great for you. If you have, act like you've never heard it before. Grace. God's redemption at Christ's expense. God's redemption at Christ's expense. I thought that was cool. I'd never heard it before. Um, so there it is. Uh, how do you grow in grace? Uh, we have the means of grace, the Bible, prayer, church, so on and so forth. Just continuing to understand and apply God's amazing grace. Knowledge here is the Bible applied not just facts. We don't want to be people who have Bible facts or who can win at Bible trivia. I would much rather have someone who can apply the word than who can you know, score 100 on a Bible quiz. Right? The ability to apply the word of God each and every day. That's how you grow in knowledge. Right? Jesus said it, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We grow in the knowledge of, of the truth, in the knowledge of the Word of God. And I think there's a recognition here that we never arrive, right? If, if we're constantly being told to grow, well, that means we never arrive. R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, there, he said, no one has a diploma from the school of Christ. You'll never graduate. You'll never, I suppose you will. When you enter into heaven, that's when you get your diploma. But no one here on this earth has a diploma from the school of Christ. It is a life of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One final one here to end the book of 2 Peter. Uh, Holiness is developed by guarding, it's developed by growing, it's developed for God's glory. That's how the book is ended. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Or... As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Everything that we do in life should be done for one singular purpose, God's glory. From salvation to our pursuit of holiness, we seek His glory above all. And that's really, that's what the return of Christ is. The day of the Lord. When the glory of the Lord is on full display. When the whole world will bow the knee to the coming King. So what should we do? be doing until Christ returns? 
We should be developing our personal holiness. Guarding, growing, bringing him glory. So I hope you've seen here here tonight uh, that, that that's what we should be doing uh, since the return of Christ is near. We should be living a life of holiness. Um, but a few questions to ask uh, as we close here tonight. Does your life look like a life that has been delivered to holiness? Not that God declares you holy, but is there evidence of growth in holiness in your life? So I want you to take a deep look at your life and say, do I see holiness growing in my life? Is that something that I see? If you're a believer, it should be. Right? Is, is there a development of holiness? Right? There, there, is there a lifelong pursuit of God and His glory? That, that should be. If that's not the case, you, you may need to get some things right with God. And, and then also, do you feel the weight of God's holy demand for everyone? Right? As we, as we went through that, that first point, and as we said that Holiness is demanded for everyone. Did you feel that weight of the demand of perfection? That is what's ultimately demanded of all of us, perfection. Something is demanded of us that we cannot possibly achieve, we cannot possibly obtain. The only response that we can have to that is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. So I would, I would urge you today, uh, if, if you have not got that settled with God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Um, then and only then will you be covered by His righteousness and be able to stand when Christ returns. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for, for Your Word and our time in Your Word here tonight. And, and God, I, I pray that we would all be pursuing a life of holiness. God, I pray that we would all know that that the return of Christ is imminent, uh, that you will return one day soon. And God, that while we eagerly await your your return, that we would would pursue a life of holiness. And God, we can't do that on our own. Uh, God, we we can't possibly do that on our own. So God, we pray that you would empower us with, with the Holy Spirit uh, to, to lead uh, holy lives. God, I pray that you would, you would convict us uh, where we, we fall short and you would guide us through your word uh, toward the paths of righteousness. Uh, and God, if there is anyone who, who has not believed in you for salvation, God, I pray that they would do that before it's everlasting too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.